0: Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. He was a um, a blind beggar and he did not realize that he was in the presence of the eternal God. Not just because he was physically blind, but because he was spiritually blind too. This blind beggar that's mentioned in the book of John, in John chapter 9, his worst condition was not the fact that he was physically blind. The worst thing he had going was that he was spiritually blind. And how often are we in the presence of the eternal God and we don't realize it, we miss it. If you look through the book of John, you find that there's a theme that runs through the book of John You can read different biblical books Different biblical texts with a different theme in mind and John is no different You can read it through with different themes in mind One theme that runs throughout the book of John Is the idea of light and darkness Of sight and blindness all through the book of John you can find that motif of light and darkness In fact, it it starts out the book of john does in john chapter one talking about this very idea john has a callback to genesis 1 1 to the beginning of all creation we found in john 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god the word being jesus he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made That's a direct call back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what are the first recorded words that we have of God? Let there be light. So God speaks and there is light. God is in this process we find in Genesis chapter 1 of separating and creating. He separates the light from the darkness. He separates the waters below from the waters above, the waters of the atmosphere and the waters There on the earth. He separates the land from the earth. There's a separation. And then there's a creation that takes place. And God still does the same thing. There's separation and creation. We find that John continues this idea of light in John chapter one, verse four. In him, that is in Christ, in the word was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from god whose name was john now this is not john the apostle this is john the baptist he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him he was not the light john the baptist was not the light that came, but came to bear witness about the light the true light that's jesus which gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him he came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God so the Bible is clear John is clear that the light of the world came into the world to give a revelation of God to the world and the world being in the presence of the eternal God was blind to that reality We do the same thing if we're not careful. Jesus shows us what true reality is. He gives us an understanding. He gives us that insight of who he is. And we can respond one of two ways. And that's what you find all through John chapter 9. In John 9, there is an either-or response to Jesus that we find. We find two different responses given the truth of the word of God. So, when Jesus offers us a clear view of reality, we will first of all focus upon who is to blame or who is in control. We mentioned this blind beggar earlier. Jesus is in Jerusalem with his disciples and he comes upon a blind beggar. And notice what his disciples say in John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Notice what the disciples are saying. Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents. Why was this man born blind, Jesus? Because certainly somebody's got to be to blame. Either this man sinned. Now, how would he have sinned if he had been born blind? There was one school of thought at the time that said that someone could sin while they were in the womb. There was another school of thought that said that there was a reincarnation that takes place And so this man may have sinned at some point in time in a previous life. Now, neither of those are biblical ideas. Some have said, well, maybe it was because of the sin of the parents and the parents' sin. And then God to show his displeasure for that sin had that child who is now an adult to be born blind but you don't find that going on in the bible either but the disciples they're reasoning the best that they can who's to blame jesus somebody's to blame and jesus says it's not about who's to blame you need to focus on who's in control because whenever jesus gives us a clear view of reality we're going to start focusing on one or the other who's to blame who can i point a finger at or who's in control of all things because god is either totally sovereign or he's not sovereign sovereignty means that you can he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants with whomever he wants for his purpose but so often we want to shortchange God's sovereignty and say well God's in control of certain things but he's not in control of other things oh no 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 God's either in control or he's not and by the way if God's not in control of all things the least of everybody's worries is why was this man born blind we have a whole host of other things that are far, are far greater consequence that we need to be concerned about if God's not in control of all things. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned. It wasn't him or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The reason this man was born blind was for a purpose. And that purpose is a greater purpose. And so the works of God may be made manifest in him, might be seen in him. Now, a lot of times we may have a problem with that. Wait a minute, I'm more comfortable thinking that Jesus and his disciples were just going along and Jesus found somebody who was born blind and Jesus said, here's an opportunity for me to show the work of God. I'm just going to use this difficulty or this disability or this problem or this situation that has been presented to me. Well, that's all well and good, except that just doesn't square with what Scripture says. Jesus says this man was born blind for a purpose. He was born blind for the purpose of this moment. This is the same kind of discussion in a, in a different way, but the same basic idea that takes place back in Exodus at the burning bush. God speaks to Moses through this bush that is burning, but it's not consumed and god speaks to moses and says you're the one that i'm going to send to egypt to be the deliverer for my people and moses goes through this laundry list of reasons why he can't do it oh but what if they won't listen oh but this oh but that and one thing that moses says to god is god i don't speak well i have this speech impediment god and I'm slow of tongue and, I, and I'm not able to speak as eloquently as I would like to. And, and by the way, back in Egypt, eloquent speaking was considered an incredible skill to have. And Moses would have been familiar with that idea because Moses had been brought up in Egypt. And Moses tells God, listen, I, I'm not a good speaker. And the Bible records that Moses says, not before we began this conversation nor now it has not gotten any better god even since we've been talking notice what god tells him in exodus 4:11 the lord said to him who has made man's mouth who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind is it not i the lord god says no moses i pick you to go and do my will and i have chosen you to be the one to do that and who made you this way i did now that's hard for us to get our head around sometimes that's hard for us to embrace sometimes but god's in control he's got a purpose that is going to be fulfilled in his way and while the disciples are saying who's to blame jesus is saying no 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 who's in control i'm in control my father is in control it's the same basic idea we find over in second corinthians 12 if you remember the the passage paul has something that is afflicting him and paul prays that god would remove it and three times he begs and he prays to god to remove this thing that's causing him these problems and god says no you find in second corinthians twelve nine, but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of christ may rest upon me who allowed this into paul's life god did why because of god's purposes and in the same way this man who has been born blind jesus is saying i've got a purpose here for this moment i have a purpose for 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 my father to get the glory i've got a greater purpose can you imagine that the man has been born blind now i know our gut level reaction our gut level response is why would that be the case that doesn't seem like god that doesn't seem like a merciful god that doesn't seem like a kind god this man has been living all of his life. He's never seen anything. That doesn't seem. That doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Can I? Can I give you this truth? God's glory is more important than our comfort. The glory of God is more important than our physical comfort. Absolutely. If if because if it were not, we would not see so many people throughout the history of Christendom dying and suffering, bleeding. And being executed, tortured, and imprisoned for the gospel. God said, I'm not going to have that. No, but the glory of God is more important. And Jesus is telling his disciples, guys, let me explain this to you. It's not a matter of who's to blame. It's a matter of who's in control. (laughs) And so many times I know in my own life, probably in your lives, you've had the same instance or the same circumstance, uh, a, kind of appear. situations come where you say, who's to blame in this? When really God is trying to get you to understand that he's in control of it. So many times I want to blame someone so I can have an explanation. And God says, I want to reveal myself to, to you through this situation in a way where you'll listen and you'll finally see and then Jesus does something. Jesus does what can only be described as a call back to the act of creation when God created Adam and Eve. Look at verse 9. "'Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with a saliva.' And he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus, just as God formed man from the earth, Jesus gets down, spits in the dirt, makes mud, and then puts it on this man's sightless eyes and tells him, go to the pool of Siloam. John mentions that word means sent because the pool of Siloam was fed through an underground tunnel that led from a spring to the pool. And in that way, the water was sent. It was the pool where from the the, the water contained therein was sent to the pool. That's why they called it sent. So he is sent to the pool called sent to go wash his, the mud from his eyes. We find that this causes a major issue. It causes a major issue because Jesus not only healed on the Jews Sabbath, he also made mud on the Sabbath. Why would making mud be a problem? Because kneading anything, kneading with a K, was considered work. If you kneaded bread on the Sabbath, that was work. If you needed clay to make clay as though you were going to make pottery, that was considered work. And so Jesus makes mud, which would be work on the Sabbath. And we find that Jesus is drawing another line. He's defining reality, and now there's going to be this separation that takes place between people looking to the traditions of men or looking to the truth of God. That's what Jesus does here if you look through the Bible, you will be shocked at how many times Jesus does a miraculous work on the Sabbath. He does it as we looked at the man by the pool of Bethesda. He does it often just to stir them up, to let them know I'm the God of the Sabbath. I can work on the Sabbath if I want to work on the Sabbath because I am God. So notice the man goes, he washes and he comes back seeing. Now, the Bible isn't explicit about this, but I just wonder, what's the first thing that man saw? I wonder, I wonder if he washed his face and when that mud fell away and his eyes were capable of seeing, did he, did he first look down in that pool and see his own reflection? A man that he's never seen before? a reflection he's never looked upon before <laughs> did he look out across this water and see this beautiful pool there at Siloam did he see the shocked faces of people looking and wondering why does this guy have mud all over his face what did he see but you know the, the amazing thing is this I'm an old literature teacher but for a time I taught science on the side as well alongside that Do you know what Jesus also had to do? It wasn't just restoring this guy's sight. This guy's never seen before anything. He had never looked upon anything. Jesus evidently also healed this guy's neural connections so that this guy could actually function in the world having now been given sight. Remember, those of you who got when you went to get glasses for the first time or contact lenses for the first time remember how it was whoa whoa remember those of you who first time you got bifocals and you tried to step down from the curb now i don't have bifocals but i'm probably going to need them soon right because i can't even see the curb sometimes but you remember what i'm talking about there was some, there was a period of adjustment you had headaches for a while you had to you had to adjust to this this new depth perception and that's if you've had sight this man was born blind and jesus apparently restored this guy's neural connections so that he could see something and know what it was wasn't thrown off by depth perception and understood what he was seeing and his brain can make sense of it that's an, that's, that's that's beyond just restoring sight it's restoring the ability to navigate the world with this newfound sight Jesus didn't say, "Now listen, you're going to go bathe in the pool of Siloam. Give it two or three days. Give it two or three days to adjust to it. No, this guy's go- He goes and he's well, he's completely well. Then notice what happens. Verse eight, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? This is, this is a guy. Some said, it is he. Others said, no but he is like him he kept saying i am the man there's this comedic thread that runs through john nine and we see that as time goes on this guy i I got i i love this guy who was formerly blind there there is such a degree of of growing boldness that you see in this man he comes back and he's a mystery to those around him is this him looks like him well i don't know that you you know he he was born blind who is this guy I think it's him I don't think it's him and it says and he keeps saying I'm the man it's me it's me I don't know yeah it's me and they're having a discussion you ever have that you're talking about someone and they're in the room with you hello hello I'm here it's me I'm the guy it says so they said to him how were your eyes opened He answered, verse 11, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Very straightforward, to the point, this is what happened. Verse 12, they said to to him, where is he? He said, I do not know because I was blind. Where is he? Remember? He told me to go, I was blind then, and now I see, I don't even know what he looked like because I was blind, right? He's laying this out to them. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. There it is. The traditions of men or the truth of God. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I wash and I see. How many times do we have to say this? Some of the Pharisees said, this man being Jesus, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. This can't be something that God did because he broke the Sabbath. He made mud, he healed, he did works on the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things and there was a division among them there's we've talked about this when we talked about the pool of bethesda there was nothing in the law of god that said that you could not do a work of necessity or a work of mercy on the sabbath but they had overlaid so many rules And they said, this is what it means. This is how you follow God. This is what it means to follow these rules and regulations. This is what it means to follow the rules of the Sabbath that God has laid out. Because see, what had happened over time was this. I I believe it was well-meaning, but it devolved into legalism. How many things often do that? They start as a well-meant intention and they devolve and and, and just kind of just... There's a decline where it ends up being really, really deep legalism. Because what had happened was God said, these are are the regulations, all of his regulations. This is my law. And so some came along and said, well, we see those. And if God says, for instance, let's just say, if God says, don't touch this particular thing, then we need to make a rule that says you need to stay two feet away from that thing i'm just being arbitrary here all right we'll, we'll st- we'll make a rule of, an understood rule that in order to not touch it we just won't even be within two feet of it and then later on it was well if two feet is good six feet's even better so let's make a rule that says we have to stay six feet six feet away from said thing that way six feet we definitely won't touch it and then after time these add-ons became the rule. These add-ons became the law itself, even though God did not intend that. They kept adding to, adding to, and then the traditions of man became that which was clung to. And so now we have Jesus doing this work of mercy on the Sabbath, and now they're all screaming, he's broken the blue laws. No, not at all. Because Jesus is about to highlight how they are regarding the traditions of man. And they're putting that over the truth of God. And he's going to do that through a guy who was formerly blind. Notice Jesus isn't even in the discussion. He's not the one talking to the Pharisees. This man who was formerly blind is the one who Jesus is using to teach the Pharisees. Notice verse Sixteen. There was a division among them. Verse 17, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. (laughs) The Pharisees can't agree, so they look at the blind guy, the formerly blind man, they say, what do you think? He's like, well, he's a prophet. Clearly, this guy is operating at a different level the jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them is this your son who you say was born blind how then does he now see you you've been with him from the get-go he was your son you are the one who gave birth to him you're the one who raised him you saw that he was blind from birth how is it that now he's an adult and he and he sees his parents verse 20 answered we know that this is our son and that he was born blind but how he now sees we do not know nor do we know who opened his eyes ask him he is of age he will speak for himself and john gives this little parenthetical explanation his parents said these things because they feared the jews for the jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess jesus to be the christ he was to be put out of the synagogue therefore his parents said he is of age ask him parents are saying we don't want to get involved with this because jesus is confronting these traditions we don't want to get involved in this because if we start If we start saying Jesus, and we start talking about Jesus, and we start going down that line of thinking, we may be kicked out of the synagogue. We won't have a place to worship. We'll be kicked out of our community. We don't want that to happen. We find the same thing mentioned over in John chapter 12, a little later on in the book of John. John 12 verse 42, and nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him but for fear of the pharisees they did not confess it so they would not be put out of the synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from god and that's what it comes down to when we value the traditions of man and we elevate human tradition over the truth of the word of god essentially what we're saying is we want to value the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from god and that fear of man can become more important to us than the fear of God. Proverbs 29.5 says that the fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap. Whenever you start elevating humanity and put humanity's power and humanity's opinions and humanity's view of truth, you put that above the view of God's truth, you're gonna be in a snare. You're gonna get tripped up you'll start to fear humans more than you fear God. You'll start to have a reverential concern over the glory that comes from being liked and accepted and embraced by man than you will what it means to be accepted by God through Christ. Because we elevate through traditions of humans, the traditions of man over the truth of the word of God. So notice what happens in John 9 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Give glory to God. What does that mean? It's sort of like being in a court of law and putting your hand on a Bible and taking an oath. We find the same idea mentioned back in Joshua chapter 7 verse 19. Achan, this man, one of Israel, had stolen some of the spoils of war and hid them in his tent, kept them for himself. And now Israel could no longer win in battle because of that sin against God. And so they narrow it down by, by God's leading who is to blame And Joshua goes to Achan and look at his words, Joshua 7, 19. Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Joshua is saying to Achan the same thing the Pharisees are saying to this man who had been born blind. Now tell the truth. With God as your witness. You understand you're in the presence of God and here's what we know this man this Jesus he's a sinner look what the man says he answered whether he is a sinner I do not know one thing I do know that though I was blind now I see (laughs) the man says listen I can't attest to what this man Jesus has done or has not done all I know is i was begging i couldn't see i never saw and now i do that counts for something guys because there's something going on here notice verse 26 they said to him what did he do to you how did he open your eyes he answered them i have told you already and you would not listen why do you want to hear it again do do you also want to become his disciples you got to love the guy you got to love his boldness This is the second time we have this discussion. You keep asking the same thing again and again. You seem awfully interested in this Jesus. Do you want to follow him? Do, Do you want to be his disciple too? Notice what their response is. You, they reviled him, verse 28, saying you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses by us. For this man, we do not know where he comes from. You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. They were clinging to the traditions of man instead of the truth of the word of God. And they had elevated those traditions of man to the point that they said, God must work this way, exactly this way. Because if he doesn't work exactly this way, then it's not of God. But it wasn't God's truth they were depending upon for the standard of how God should work and how God said he will work. But it was the traditions of man. The Bible is clear. If, If they had known the Bible, truly had clung to the word of God, they would have known psalm 146 verse 8 the lord opens the eyes of the blind he's the only one who does that the lord opens the eyes of the blind he is the one according to exodus that he made the blind and he's the one who opens the eyes of the blind not only that they would have understood that this was a prophecy regarding the messiah Because when the Messiah would come, according to the Old Testament, that was one of the marks, one of the signs. Isaiah 35, 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. It was a prophecy concerning the Messiah, Jesus being the Messiah. But oh no, it's not the truth of the word of God. It's the traditions of man. Their traditions, their expectations, their opinions, they all overrule the reality of God's work. We do the same. Well, I don't agree with this because it's got to be this. And it's a tradition, not the Word of God. And then we try to find a verse so we can back up our tradition. No, no, it's the Word of God. We go to the Word of God. Tradition is not a bad thing, but tradition is not the same as eternal truth. It's not. Our expectations, that's not God's Word. I've had so many times over the years that I've had people come to me with different quote-unquote expectations of church. And it's not an expectation that's laid out in the Word of God. And they say, well, I expect church to be this way. And I've told them, I care a whole lot less about what you expect church to be, and I care a whole lot more about what God expects church to be. And if those two things are different, then I'm going to side with God, right? I'm only expecting that which brings glory and honor to God. Uh, You know, I've, I've had... I had one person come to me at one point in time and, uh, years ago, at a different church and said, well, you know, I don't like this and this and this about service. I didn't like this song or that song or that song. And my response to them was this, well, we weren't singing it to you. Are you the one we were giving praise and honor and glory to? I don't think so. I'm less concerned about what you thought about it. More concerned about what God thought about it. Was God glorified? Was God pleased in it? Because see, that's the problem we have. The problem we have is we think when we're sitting out here that we are the audience. Oh, no, no, no. God is the audience. We are the worshipers. God is the one who receives it, not us. We're not the audience. God's the audience. So they are teaching the traditions of man. Uh, By the way, contrast this formerly blind man and these Pharisees who are spiritually blind the formerly blind man is now operating to show them the truth that they're missing he's the one who is speaking essentially on behalf of jesus because of what jesus did in the guy's life jesus isn't even in the midst of the argument this man as jesus has said i'm the light of the world now very much as in matthew chapter 5 verse 14 when jesus looks at his followers and says you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden this man has met the light of the world. The light of the world has healed him. And now this guy is operating as a representative of the light of the world, letting them know, "Hey, it's not about the traditions of man. It's about the truth of the word of God." Contrast that with Matthew chapter 15 verse 14. Jesus speaking of the Pharisees, "Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit." Why are they blind? Because they are elevating the traditions of man over the truth of God. And what I think, just for me, is one of the most beautiful parts of this whole story is found in the next few verses. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believed, and he worshiped him. Isn't that beautiful? When Jesus heard they had cast him out of the synagogue, when Jesus heard they had kicked him out of the place of worship, Jesus went and found him and said, do you believe do you believe in the son of man that old testament designation for one yes who is who is fully human but also one who is god do you believe well who is he that i may believe it's me i believe and he worships him you see what happens pharisee says you're not going to worship with us anymore jesus said that's okay he can worship with me he can worship with me and have true worship going on right here Because this is that dividing line again. We will either experience deeper spiritual blindness or increasing spiritual sight. That's what happened with this formerly blind man. He is experiencing increasing spiritual sight while the Pharisees are experiencing a deeper spiritual blindness. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those who can't see, those who are blind to the reality that they may see. And for those who think they've got it together and they don't need anybody else, for those who think they have it all figured out, to those who are depending on their own traditions, to those who say, I don't need anyone but me, I'm going to let them continue in their blindness because they say they see. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. If you knew you were spiritually blind and you came to me, you'd be forgiven. If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, we see your guilt remains. There's increasing, there's a, we experience deeper spiritual blindness or increasing spiritual sight. Real quickly, let's just look back over those verses we just went through. Because here's what you find. When you trace it all the way through, you find that this blind man gets that. He receives that increasing spiritual sight. And at the same time, while his spiritual insight is increasing as to who Jesus is, we find that the Pharisees are getting deeper and deeper into spiritual blindness. Watch how this happens. Verse 10. The formerly blind man says, this man called Jesus. That's all he knows him by. There's this man. Look what the Pharisees say in verse 16. This man is not from God. They, they just both know he was a man. The formerly blind man just says he's a man. His name is Jesus. The Pharisees are saying, well, this man is not from God. The Pharisees go on in verse 16. There's a division among them they can't make up their mind in verse 17 the formerly blind man saying well he's a prophet he's going from jesus just being a man to now jesus is a prophet the pharisees in verse 24 we know that this man is a sinner what does the formerly blind man say in 25 verse 25 whether he's a sinner i do not know i just know that i was blind now i see you say he's a sinner i say he's a miracle worker so he's not just a prophet but he's able to heal The formerly blind man in verse 27 says, do you also want to become his disciples? The implication there is, I'm willing to follow this guy named Jesus. Notice what the Pharisees say in verse 28. You are his disciples, we're disciples of Moses. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 3.3 says that Jesus has been counted of more, of worthy of more glory than Moses. So they're banking on Moses. This man says, I'm willing to follow Jesus. The Pharisees in verse 29 say, we don't know where he comes from. The formerly blind man says, If the man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he's concluding he must be from God. And then finally, in verse 38, the formerly blind man says, Lord, I believe, and he worships. But of the Pharisees, of the Pharisees, in verse 39, Jesus says, You say you see, and your guilt remains. The Pharisees have gone farther and farther and farther into spiritual darkness. And this man has stepped farther and further and further in the spiritual light. He has gone from being physically blind and spiritually blind as well to now his physical sight has been recovered and now he has been given spiritual sight into the person of Jesus. He starts out by saying this man named Jesus and now he is worshiping the son of man, Jesus himself. This is what God does in our life this clear view of Jesus demands a decision. Can't get away from it. Jesus is the one who calls us out of darkness. That's what Peter writes in first Peter chapter two, verse nine. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus is still in the process and still in the work of calling people out of darkness into light second corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 for god who said let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ the same god who said let there be light at the beginning of creation is the same god who now says let this light shine into the hearts of these that are living in darkness so they might know the glory of god in the face of jesus christ Just as he did it with this man who is physically blind, so too he does that with those of us who are spiritually blind, calling us out of darkness, calling us out of spiritual blindness, calling us out of that place where we don't know, we can't see, we can't do ourselves. And he finds us there. He meets us there and calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light because he's the light of the world that's what he says in john chapter 8 verse 12 jesus spoke to them saying i am the light of the world whoever follows in me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life god calls us out of darkness god calls us to make a decision are we going to seek who to blame or are we going to seek the one who's in control Are we going to elevate the traditions of man and the expectations and opinions of humanity? Or are we going to elevate rightly and glorify the word of God? Are we going to grow and experience growing and increasing spiritual sight as we seek out Christ and allow him to transform us? Or are we going to continue to walk in darkness and in doing so, not remain static, no, no, but become even more blind? He calls us out of darkness into light. He's still calling. He's still healing those who are spiritually blind because He is the light of the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And we're thankful for the light of the revelation of Jesus. We're thankful that that revelation of Christ shows us who we are in christ but also christ shows us who we are without him that we are lost that we are blind that we are in darkness we're in the darkness of sin and jesus as the light of the world came to reveal to us our true condition without him that we are in need of a savior and Father, we're thankful that as the light of the world, Jesus came, gave us a revelation of the character, your character, the eternal, holy character of God. And that out of that great love and out of that great mercy, that He satisfied your justice, He satisfied the, the penalty, the wrath that comes from sin by dying on a cross in our place so that we so that we may no longer walk in darkness but we may walk in the light of life that comes through Jesus thank you for the death burial and resurrection of your son on our behalf in our place father we pray now that if there's any decision that needs to be made today because jesus is a defining he's a a defining truth he's a dividing line he demands a decision today would be the day that we would lay down blaming that we would lay down tradition that we would that we would step out of that darkness and that blindness and step toward the light of life that is found in jesus alone and that we would receive that that deeper spiritual insight as we walk in that truth and we're transformed by Christ, that we would that we cling to the word of God, that we would trust your sovereignty, that you are in control of all things. So Father, I pray that whatever decision needs to be made today, whether it's to come to Jesus for salvation, whether it's to just surrender some area of our lives to you, Father, I pray that today would be the day that we would say yes no more walking in darkness. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to that call and I'm going to respond. Father, we pray that you'd be glorified in our lives, that Christ will be lifted up and magnified as the light of the world. And we ask this in his name. Amen.